0: Well, thanks for tuning in to part two of our Christmas Big Screen series. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the location pastors here at The Orchard. I don't know about you, but I love this time of year. I love Christmas. The traditions, the lights, the music, the movies, all that goes into Christmas. I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't love Christmas? One of my favorite traditions is watching Christmas movies. And maybe one of the most well-known movies today, at least Christmas movies in the last several years, is following the the comedic journey of a man named Buddy the Elf. And if you've ever seen the movie, you understand the the ups and the downs, the ebbs and the flows, the highs and the lows of Buddy's comic adventure as he leaves his home in the North Pole to be reunited with his biological dad. Now there's tons of memorable and quotable scenes from the movie and I will refrain from doing that because let's face it, Will Ferrell is a better actor than I am. But I wanna call our attention to one scene in particular. You may remember about halfway through the movie that Buddy has recently been employed at Gimble's toy store. And you'll remember that Buddy bursts into pure elation, pure joy when his supervisor tells him that the following day at 10 a.m., Santa is coming. Fast forward to 10 a.m. the next day, and Buddy's elation quickly evaporates. You see, Buddy literally sniffs out the imposter. He sees this faux santa this imposter as he begins to receive kids and ask them for what they would want for christmas and buddy reminds him that you're not santa in fact you smell like beef and cheese and you sit on a throne of lies and then buddy much to the chagrin of his supervisor and the rest of the employees at the store rips off the faux santa's beard dashing the hopes of all of the children in the store who came to see who they believed was santa Now, earlier I asked the question, who doesn't love Christmas? And yes, although that's intended to be a rhetorical question, I think sometimes the answer may be a little less simple. So who doesn't love Christmas? Well, those who have experienced disappointment, those who have experienced pain, those who have been let down, that's who doesn't love Christmas. You see, suddenly Christmas for those who have lost its luster, the lights aren't enough to overcome the loneliness, the music isn't enough to mask the pain. And you may be surprised to find out that Buddy the Elf is not the only one who experienced disappointment leading up to Christmas Day. You see, being let down and having expectations go unmet is not foreign to the people of Scripture, and that may be no more evident than in the life of a man named Joseph. Now, if you have a Bible, I would invite you to join me in Matthew chapter one in Matthew chapter one we begin to see the what is traditionally called the Christmas story take shape and Matthew writes these words starting in verse 18. The birth of Jesus came about this way after his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly decided to divorce her secretly. Now let's pause there for a minute and and unpack what's going on. Now, this translation in the Christian Standard Bible says that Mary and Joseph were engaged. You may have a translation or heard it translated differently that says Mary and Joseph were betrothed. What does that mean? What does that look like? And the idea is similar to our engagement today in the sense that yes, betrothal preceded the wedding ceremony, but it was a little different. So what are those differences? Well, betrothal back then, was much more binding than our engagements today. You see, a betrothal process usually lasted a year and it almost always involved at least the partial payment of the bride price. And so in those days, the arranged marriages were very common. And so usually with consent, both parties would agree that the marriage would be arranged ahead of time and there would be an established price that would be paid called a bride price. And so in this particular instance, Joseph and Mary had been arranged probably to be married with consent that they had both agreed upon. And it's very likely that at this point, Joseph had already paid at least partial payment of the bride price. Betrothal was so binding in those days that in order to legally separate a betrothal, one would have to be divorced. And so you can see that much different than our engagement today that can quietly kind of be dissolved. There's no legal action that takes place in those days. Betrothal was binding. In fact, it was so binding that if one's fiance died in the betrothal process, if a, if a woman's fiance happened to die or pass away, then that person would be considered a widow, even though they had not yet been married. Betrothal was binding, it was a legal transaction, it was something that was to be taken seriously. And betrothal was the first step, there would be a betrothal and then it would be followed by a wedding ceremony and then consummating the marriage. So so the entirety of the marriage was broken up into three parts, but the betrothal was the first part that again legally bound these people together. A woman with a child, in this case Mary, who turns up pregnant, typically would be divorced for such infidelity. And it would be rare that she would ever be remarried knowing what had happened. And so she would basically function the rest of her life like a widow, uh, that she would not be married, that she would have uh, just simply her child that would support her and her family that would support her. But it would be rare that she would ever find another husband. So at this point in the story, here's what we know. We know that uh, Mary turns up pregnant while her and Joseph are betrothed, that this was a serious matter, that this is a matter that had legal implications. And so Joseph is really left with three options. The first option, knowing that this child was not his, is that he could divorce Mary for her unfaithfulness. And this would ultimately bring shame to Mary as someone who had committed adultery to or against her betrothed. And so uh, that's probably the most common option, or at least what would first come to our minds. The, The second option would be Joseph, knowing this was not his child, he could stay with Mary despite her unfaithfulness, and he would bring shame to himself for one of two reasons. Either he would be viewed as one who had consummated the marriage prior to the wedding ceremony and therefore would bring shame to himself for a lack of self-control, or it would be discovered that this was not Joseph's child and he would bring shame to himself for keeping the child and keeping Mary despite her unfaithfulness. Or the third option, this is the option that we read about that Joseph had decided to go with, and that was this. He could divorce Mary because of her unfaithfulness, but it says that he was a righteous man, and because of that, he could do so quietly, not bringing public shame to Mary trying to as best as possible keep her dignity intact and they could separate legally they could do so but not cause such a ruckus and a stir that it would eventually prevent her from uh, having status as she moved forward and in other words Joseph as a righteous man knowing this was not his child said because of his integrity that he would try to as best as possible preserve Mary's integrity. Now, it's often been said that disappointment defined is the difference between expectation and reality. Now, in this case, we don't know what Joseph's expectations were, and so we could speculate, we could read into, but the Bible isn't clear about uh, how much disappointment he faced. But I do think it's safe to say that he experienced disappointment, not because we know his expectations, but we do know. His reality. And the reality was this Joseph was invested in Mary's life. They had agreed to marry one another. They had uh, betrothed one another. They had committed to this process. They had already begun the wedding process, the betrothal process. And Again, it's likely that Joseph had already paid part of the bride price. He was invested in this marriage. He probably loved Mary, right? He had agreed to marry her. And so emotionally and financially, there was an investment on Joseph's part. And so we don't know his expectation, but we do know the reality is that the one that he had agreed to marry, the one that he had paid partially for a bride price to be his wife was now pregnant and the child was not his. So I would venture to say that there was surely some disappointment on Joseph's part and I think the thing for us is that many of us have probably felt that same sting that sharp pain of disappointment in our own lives through the words of a spouse or a friend through goals or dreams that we had we had lofty ambitions we viewed our lives as going one way and then we have experienced the reality of something much different, expectations being unmet, we have felt what it is like to have our worlds come crashing down around us. But here is the point that I think we need to see and what we will see take place in Joseph's life is this, God did not abandon Joseph in his time of disappointment. Just because Joseph experienced disappointment, just because Joseph discovers that his betrothed his soon-to-be wife his future wife is now pregnant knowing that the child is not his God did not abandon Joseph in this moment in fact he did the opposite and he drew near see the truth about disappointment even though it can sometimes be a hard truth is that God is at work in our disappointments Let's continue in verse 20 of Matthew chapter 1. It says, But after he had considered these things, after Joseph had resolved to divorce Mary quietly, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So we see that on the surface, Joseph surely experienced disappointment. He surely experienced some heartache and some pain knowing what had transpired. And yet God does not abandon him there. God, even though this was of God, he does not leave Joseph on an island to figure it out for himself. In fact, he sends an angel to Joseph to calm his fears, to ease his anxiety, and to assure him that Mary, your betrothed, has not been unfaithful. There is no need to divorce her because what has happened has transpired because God is at work. This is actually the fulfillment of prophecy. This is the fulfillment of God's promise to his people to send one, a Messiah, into the world to redeem Israel and to redeem the world, to save people from their sins. So despite his disappointment, we see that God is still at work. James McDonald has put it this way. God's sovereignty is first painful, then slowly powerful, and only over much time seem to be profitable. This is because at first knowing that God is in control can hurt. It can lead us to ask God, why would you let this happen? Or maybe more specifically, God, I know you're in control. I know you're sovereign. So how could you let this happen to me? Then over time, we begin to understand that God does indeed have a plan, even if we don't have eyes to see it. And finally, we come to a place where we understand that God is working, that what has happened in our lives, although painful, although disappointing, has indeed proven to be profitable. We understand that God is working everything together in his plan for our good and our glory. And you can look up verses like Romans chapter 8 to to see that God is at work even in the midst of the pain, even in the midst of the disappointment, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are who are called according to his purpose. You see, here's the thing. This truth, the fact that God works through our pain, that God works through our disappointment, this truth does not take away the pain. It does not take away the emotional burden that we feel, the emotional intensity that we feel in the moment, but neither does our pain Invalidate God's sovereignty. Yes, it's real. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's difficult to walk through, but our pain does not negate God's sovereignty. God is still at work through our disappointment, through our pain. You see, God revealed to Joseph that he was indeed working for Joseph's good, but not just Joseph's good, the good of all mankind through the disappointment that he at first experienced. Joseph experienced what was sure to be pain, what was sure to be disappointment, discovering that his wife was pregnant, soon to be wife was pregnant. And then he realized that through that, through the probably the public shame and the perception that would begin to travel throughout town as people begin to spread gossip and things and talk and and go around town and yet in the midst of all of that God assures Joseph that look whatever you would experience whatever you would go through whatever would be painful or difficult or disappointing I am at work and this is indeed of me I am sovereign over these things and so Matthew summarizes for us and he wraps up what happens. What is Joseph going to do with this? He has found out Mary is pregnant and then the angel comes to Joseph and says, hey, I'm going to calm your fears. It's all from God. You don't have to divorce her. So what does Joseph do? What is his response? Well, we see in verse 24, it says, when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son and he named him Jesus. So what does Joseph do? What is Joseph's response? Joseph's response is that even though he may not understand, even though he may not be able to comprehend, even though he may not see the whole picture, he takes God at his word in the midst of what he's going through. And he says, yes, I believe that that is of God. I believe that the angel was sent by God. I believe that this is the baby that's going to save the world from their sins. And so his response is obedience. And this is how he does it. It says he named the baby Jesus. Now, Jesus isn't necessarily an uh, uncommon name. In, in fact, it's Yeshua in the original language, uh, which we get our English word Joshua from. We see that in the Old Testament. This is a, a name that is not necessarily uncommon in those days. But what was uncommon is that Joseph would say, this is what I'm going to name this baby because it was revealed to me that this baby would be a savior for the world. You see, the name Jesus, Yeshua, in the original literally means God is salvation. And so Joseph, upon learning from the angel that this is indeed God at work, says, I'm going to name the baby in obedience to what the angel has said, and I am going to declare finally by naming this child, this is God's declaration that God is salvation. This baby will save the world from their sins. Ultimately, Joseph was convinced that a That although at first disappointing and painful, God was ultimately at work. And we see evidence of this through his obedience. So maybe you're thinking to yourself, yeah, well, if God sent an angel to me in the midst of what I'm going through, in the midst of everything that I'm experiencing, sure, I would believe that he was at work too. But the reality is, I haven't seen an angel. I haven't had a dream. And so all I see is the disappointment around me. All I see is the pain that I have experienced. Well, what if I told you that God sent someone even better than an angel? You see the baby that Joseph named, you see the baby that the angel alluded to and said that this would be the baby that would save the world from his sins is the one that God sent. And I think that it's important for us to understand that even though in our disappointment, we can feel abandoned, that just because we feel abandoned, just because we feel disappointed, just because we experience pain, does not mean that God is not at work, does not mean that God has abandoned us. In fact, maybe the most convincing evidence of all that God's purpose is not stymied stymied by our disappointment or our pain is that he himself, God himself, experienced the heartache, the pain, the emotional weight of seeing his son Jesus humiliated and tortured on a Roman cross. Why? Because he took the weight of the sin of the world upon himself, a weight that he did not personally deserve, the punishment that he did not deserve, and yet he took the sin of the world on himself and died a humiliating, gruesome, painful death on a cross. So God is not foreign to the idea of experiencing the things that we often experience. And we think, well, I'm experiencing heartache, I'm experiencing pain, I'm experiencing disappointment, and therefore God has abandoned me. God must not know me. He must not care. He must not see me. And yet God himself subjected himself to heartache. He subjected himself to seeing his own son crucified, tortured, beaten, stuck on a Roman cross. Why? Because he loves us. It's not that pain means that God has abandoned us. It doesn't mean that because we're disappointed that God has somehow forgotten about us or doesn't care about us. In fact, it was through pain, it was through humiliation that God proved just the opposite. He proved that he loves us. He proved that he sees us. He proved that he cares about us. He proved that he loves us through the pain that his son experienced and that he subjected himself to. The Christian recording artist Casting Crowns wrote a song titled Held, and one of the, the lines of that song says this. It says, if your eyes are on the storm, you'll wonder if I love you still. But if your eyes are on the cross, you'll know I always have and always will. So, If that's you, if you have experienced disappointment, if you are one of those people that you're not looking forward to Christmas, you are maybe not as excited as the average person because you know that Christmas is gonna be a stinging reminder of loss or unmet expectations or pain or heartache or disappointment, I want to remind you that in the midst of your disappointment, there is hope, that God loves you, that Christmas is a reminder of just how much he loves you, that he, God, can work through your disappointment for your good and for his glory. So, my encouragement to you is that if that is you and you are feeling the effects of disappointment, that you would turn to Jesus, that your eyes would be on Jesus this Christmas season, that you would know that what you are experiencing, what you have gone through, what you are going through is not because God has abandoned you, is not because God doesn't love you, but in fact, that you would understand that even God understands your pain because he has experienced it, and he experienced it when he sent his son as a reminder, as a demonstration of just how much he, in fact, loves you. You see, this baby that Joseph experienced disappointment over at first, who eventually grew up and became the savior of the world, is proof that God uses disappointment. He can work through disappointment, ultimately, for our good, and for the good of the world, to save the world from it's sin. And so here's what my encouragement to you is. This Christmas season, may your eyes turn to Jesus. May you be reminded that he came to save you, born as a baby, born to the Virgin Mary, born into this betrothal, wedding, marriage relationship between Mary and Joseph. He came into the world through Mary as part of Joseph's life because he loves you. And I want you to be reminded this Christmas season that even though you may experience disappointment, pain, heartache, loss, that God loves you. His eyes are on you and he has proven that once and for all by sending his son Jesus to the earth because he knew that Jesus would be the savior of the world. And he loves you enough that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And so I pray that you would be reminded of that this Christmas that Jesus is the reason for the season and that your eyes would look to him in the midst of your disappointment and your heartache. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in and we hope to catch you back next week.